Hello, and welcome to Boss Barista. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. I'm Jasper Wild. Yay. Thank you again for tuning in. Hopefully, if you're tuning into this episode, that means that you listened to our very first episode, which we were stoked to launch. We are excited for any feedback that you guys have. You can reach us on a lot of different mediums, right, Jasper? So many different mediums. Uh, so we're Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram. At this point, we should hopefully have our Twitter going <laughs> at Boss Barista Podcast. Um, you can reach us at our email address, bossbaristapodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can also reach either Jasper or I um, at our Twitter handles. I'm Ash, common name. Jasper is Sassy Barista. Uh. Do I use Twitter? You no. don't use Twitter, Do use but you Instagram? use Instagram. Yes. You're really <laughs> good at uh, uh, putting up like your story. I like following that. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I am inspired by the stories. Yeah. So in the last episode, we referenced a conversation that we had together that was um, kind of like our founding story, like how we kind of met each other and mm-hmm. we decided to record this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um so this episode's actually going back to that conversation. Mm-hmm. Conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you frame it a little bit for us, Jasper? Like, what was that conversation? Uh, so this was um, originally an episode of Portafilter podcast that that Ashley had invited me on to interview me, Jasper Wild, the coffee educator of Ritual, to see kind of what I was about. So. Uh, we didn't end up launching that on Portafilter Podcast, so we're using it here. Mm-hmm. So Jasper gave this amazing um, speech. It was a manifesto at an event that I saw at Ritual, and I was like, oh, my God, I have to meet this person. <laughs> um, I recorded it on my phone. I played it later. Um, it was just really moving, and it was something that I really wanted to start. And then once Jasper and I got started talking about just more issues in coffee, we realized that there was a lot more work to be done. And that's why we kind of launched this. So right now we're going to play with for you that conversation. So you might hear a little bit of Nick, Nick Cho. He Mm -hmm. is the host of the Portafilter podcast. Um, So we hope that you enjoy it. Please, again, send us any questions, comments, responses um, at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. And we hope that you enjoy listening to us. Thanks. Thanks. I know we've talked a lot about where where you come from in coffee, but could you walk me a little bit through your coffee experience, where you started, how you got to where you are currently? Yeah. So I am Jasper Wild, and I currently work at Ritual Coffee Roasters. But I first got into coffee at 16 years old, which my 10-year anniversary is coming up in July and I think I need a party Um, but it was at Starbucks and I started uh, I was living in Boise Idaho at the time where most of my family still lives and um, I started there did the whole barista thing I traveled around from Boise to Dallas Texas to Tulsa Oklahoma to Menlo Park East Palo Alto Santa Cruz California over five years and did Starbucks the whole time. And they have lots of little, you know, 
coffee educator, coffee master, little hoops that you get to jump through. So, of course, I did all those things. And then um, quit Starbucks and I wanted to – I did not want to work for a corporation and that's all I knew. So I wanted to work at a local coffee shop and that always was more romantic to me. And so I applied at like 10 different coffee shops. And the only interview I got was Verve Coffee Roasters had no idea anything about anything that was going on in specialty coffee at the time. And I remember really liking, they were like, oh, why do you want to work for Verve? I was like, well, I see that you guys are using the natural light and you don't like have a lot of extra lights. And I see you have like recycling bins. That's really important to me. I like really care about the earth and, and everybody here looks cool. You don't have a dress code. So I really like that. And, um, and I'm really passionate about coffee and I really love people and blah, blah, blah. So I got hired and that kind of changed my world. And I became a trainer there and I did um, the barista competition one year there and um, then went on to move up to San Francisco and I've worked at Reve Coffee Company and Front um, for a few months there and they roast their own coffee as well. But they're kind of no more. So it's like RIP Front and now I work at Ritual. So five years of, of corporate Starbucks, and then now five years in specialty. Mm -hmm. So one of the reasons I wanted specifically to talk to you was you gave this really amazing manifesto at an event at Ritual, um, bringing women together. And I wanted to know more about what inspired you to do that. Well, I had been... I had been reading this book called The Feminist Utopian Project, and most of it is just different people writing in about, like, difficult areas in our current society and what they could do to make it different. And not, like, what can we actually do, but what's the biggest, like, most utopian possible way to do these things? And I thought, what would it look like to work in coffee in a utopian atmosphere and feminism to me is a word that just encompasses utopia <laughs> just because it must mean that everybody is represented equally and it must mean that we all get the same opportunities and we get to like rise to our potential that we want to be not not these sort of like tokenism things where it's like oh you are a um you're a young pretty girl like you'll be great in front of the cash register or you're a broody kind of guy who wears beanies and flannels, you're a good roaster, which people just kind of gravitate towards those things, maybe, you know, like a, just because it's expected. But at Ritual in particular, I saw people doing things that I didn't expect them to do. Like I would be like, oh, I just want to, you know, oh, here's my resume. You can give this to their manager. Like, oh, I'm the manager. Like, oh, wow, I didn't expect, you know, a bubbly, like charismatic, or I don't know. It just kind of, I was confronted with my own little biases of, wow, like why did, wasn't I expecting you to be the manager? Of course you could be the manager. You could do whatever you wanted. And uh, I wanted to write a manifesto that made everybody feel like they could do whatever they wanted. <laughs> and yeah. Did Eileen ask you to do that or did you ask her? She came to me to do the women in coffee event. She said, I want to do women in coffee and I have the space. 
but I don't know the content. And I was like, okay, I will email you. And I emailed her like a list of a bunch of things. Like, let's talk about like women producers or let's talk about um, like how to combat sexism with customers or how to confront other roasteries that like don't really promote women and like how do we push everybody. And all my ideas were like kind of big and intense and needed a lot of work and thought. She was like, okay, how about we keep planning on those events this event is eight days away. So what can we do in eight days? And I was like, well, I have want to write a feminist barista specialty coffee manifesto. She's like, okay, great. Mm-hmm. So I wrote it and I emailed it to her and she was like, it's awesome. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Just do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. So you work for a female owned company. Mm-hmm. Had you ever worked for a female owned company before? Hmm. No. Do you think it's no. different? Does it inform the way that you look, not just at what you do, but what other people in coffee do specifically? I I think so. I don't generally think of companies as like, oh, a woman owns this, therefore it's different. And I didn't think of that when I started at Ritual. It was like, oh yeah, Eileen's the owner. That seemed normal to me because, of course, women can own things. <laughs> but what really was different is seeing how the company was run differently when a variety of people were in power. And of course it's not just like women and men, it's all genders like trans people or, you know, gender fluid people or um, even like a mix of, of all kinds of races, like those things I hadn't really seen as much. Mm -hmm. And, that really made a difference and it it feels different. It feels like everybody is cooperating and it doesn't feel like there's these sort of clicky things that happen where the people who are in power kind of have like a little social crew outside of it. So you really can't get in unless you're already in the social click. And it's not really like that. Of course there are friends at ritual, but it's not this like stuck sort of like, oh, you could never get into that. Oh, man, I had a question, and then I always keep losing it because then mm-hmm. you say interesting things, and I'm like, that's great. <laughs> um, so how, how, is that, wait, one more time. how is that different from past jobs you've had? Well, I, oh. I had noticed the click happening in other jobs, where people would be brought in over over groups of people without a kind of like, hey, we're looking for a director of retail. Like, who wants to apply? And presumably people who are qualified would apply or people who wanted that job would apply. Instead, it would be like, hi, guys, wanting you to welcome this person who's now your boss and your boss's boss, and they're really going to take the company in, in, a, in the right direction. It's just like, oh, There was, like, a sense of lack of trust or, like, I am a little scared now because you're the owner and you're endorsing them. But it kind of felt like when those sorts of things happened, it would feel like the people that you did connect with, like, maybe, you know, I've connected with owners before and been like, oh, yeah, I really like your vision. But then when they put someone in between them and you over and over and over again, you're like, oh, wow, like you actually 
don't want me to grow in this company in the way that I think. When you're like, oh, yeah, we want you to grow in the company. It's like, no, not you don't really want me to become part of the fabric. You just want this kind of locked into a lower pay rate or like trying to milk me for a lot of hours and not enough benefits and um, those sorts of things that I've seen over and over again have been disheartening. Yeah, it seems like you're speaking to, from what I gather from that, that when you talk to someone, of course, you know, when they're offered a job, like it's definitely like, yes, of course we want you to grow because that's what people look for. Mm -hmm. But then it becomes really clear after a certain amount of time, you're like, oh, well, you want this company to stay exactly the way it is Mm -hmm. and you want me to do the same thing over and over and over um, as opposed to evolving and changing and growing. Yeah, yeah. There also were times that I saw, you know, a position that I was qualified for or that it would be within my reach. And instead of having a more open, like, cool, we're hiring for assistant store managers. Please have worked for the company for six months or, you know, here are the qualifications. Instead, it was like, hi, guys, wanting to welcome on this person. Who you're like, I don't I don't know you. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes cool. it was somebody you did know. And that was the tricky part. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, we were hired together. Oh, we do about the same job. Oh, but you were chosen. And you've obviously obviously had these backdoor conversations that I've been excluded from. Maybe because you babysit and drink beer with the boss on your weekends. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you think that's a problem in companies? The not as much apparent sexism but kind of the the backdoor kind where yes yes so much more especially here in california where those things aren't really cool and here we are talking about it and it's in the zeitgeist right now and everybody knows it's not really okay to exclude women anymore (laughs) so instead of doing it in overt ways it's done in subtle ways and it's It can be done when you, you know, you hire somebody because you know them and sure you're the boss, you don't really think about that, but then they're your go-to person to, you know, when you move up, they move up with you and there's, there's a subtle favoritism. Sometimes it's not just like men who are bosses hiring other men, promoting other men. Other times it can just be, it can be a cultural thing and I've seen bosses who you know was a guy and like was promoting this other woman up with him but that wasn't it definitely wasn't a sexist thing but I still think it falls under the umbrella of feminism because I was more outspoken about hey we need our breaks we really need our breaks or hey we um we have been short-staffed and you know us shift leads have been staying over and um the new baristas don't know how to handle cash very well and we're not getting training and then you're coming at me when the drawer is short or you know things like that that can be another symptom of not really like looking out for everybody in the same way it's just like picking favorites and like oh I got your guys's back but maybe not the greater whole which is Feminism is everybody, like not just women. Yeah. Could you talk more about what you believe feminism to really include? Yes. Feminism is equality, treating people equally. And of course, 
men and women is like a narrow version, but I would say men, women, and all genders. And um, being equal with all races and being equal with all sexual orientations and preferences. Mm -hmm. What do you think your utopia coffee shop would look like? Oh my God, it's so great. Okay, so the utopian coffee shop has... It's awesome. Okay, we grow the herbs to make our sigbevs, and we um, we have a lot of options for people. We okay, when it comes to certification and getting information out to customers, that would be a lot more transparent. There would be like, there would be I don't know, like a kind of board thing or maybe this like inner oh my god it would be an interactive like ipad thing where you could click on hot topics like what does organic mean in coffee and then you could learn about like how the pros and the cons of like what it means to pay for an organic certification or what it means to the roasters when they have to roast organic coffee and how much extra time and maintenance that stuff causes. And then you could make more informed decisions and you would have these extra awesome labeling stuff. There would be um, there would be a code of conduct for customers. What things, examples of things that are, you know, welcome or examples of things that are unwelcome so that you wouldn't be put in a weird situation if, you know, for instance, like the person who's on their cell phone. No barista likes that, but it's not really okay to call a customer out on that at this point in time. So my utopian would have like recommended behaviors and there would be like, you know, kickbacks. Like, thank you so much for being wonderful because we're wonderful too. And there would be more respect in general. What would it look like internally? How would people get hired? How would they get promoted? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Honestly, Ritual does a really good job of it already. We take applications from everybody who gives them. Emily um, is my manager who's extra awesome. She gives an interview to everybody. And that's a lot of work for her. (laughs) And um, sometimes you know based on the interaction of that resume that it's not going anywhere, but she does it anyway. I think that should carry over because you don't really know what that person can bring to the table. You don't know if they're, like, really tired or if they just, like, you know, like had to put their kid down or they might for many reasons be not on par when they're like, here's a resume, please give me a job. (laughs) Maybe they're already vulnerable. Um, For for promotion, my utopian coffee shop would have a sort of, um, it would be a little bit more transparent when, People were applying if they didn't get the job. There would be a, we went with this person because of their more qualifications. And also, we would like to see you grow in these areas. And we would like to see you do these things. There'd be a little bit more check-ins as to, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to grow? What are your interests this month? Because sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, I'm totally going to do this thing. I'm going to create this, blah, blah, blah. And other times it'll be like a, you know, like in my soul, like, I have, like recently, I have to roast coffee and I've never felt this way before. But just very recently, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I need to roast now. And that that should be like a check-in with people to be like, all right, we got your back. But maybe it's not 
the right time right now, or maybe we will find a place for you in a minute, but we acknowledge your, your skill and your desire and we got you. Have you ever been told something that seems sexist that maybe doesn't immediately register as sexist? Like you're too sensitive or <laughs> you shouldn't take that personally. You're bossy. That's a good one. Or you're controlling. I mean, I'm not very sensitive, but I am bossy. And those are things that society in general does often not want in a woman. <laughs> so, yeah, my like deep desire to see everything from like beginning to end and like know all the details and really stress out about, you know, whatever it is, like the the amount of total dissolved solids in this Colombian micro lot has to be right today um, really can come across in a way I've, I've been told like, oh, you know, you need to relax. You need to let it go. What do you think the same, what do you think, what words do you think would be used to describe those same characteristics if you were a guy? Oh, I don't know. Leadership or, um, direct, assertive, strong, just, just those things. <laughs> just no big deal. Just those things. Just those things that are very positive and always looked up and, you know, my like controlling would be something I, I use lovingly on myself, but I think a better word is just inspiring and and thorough like that those are things we value mm -hmm. do you think there was a moment for yourself when you would hear words like that like maybe controlling or bossy and it went from you being like oh maybe I am those things to oh these are not always fair criticisms because these are very gendered and sometimes sexist yes I I felt like at times I've had to sort of recalibrate and I've it's been it's been easy for me in the past when I've been younger and haven't been as knowledgeable or really known where that was coming from especially if it's coming from another woman or a woman who's older than you or um who's in a position of leadership I'm thinking a lot about when I grew up in the church and there were times when I would be, you know, causing a stir or like being a problem and just like those phrases being used instead of being creative or like being charismatic. <laughs> those have been the, when, when those phrases have been put on me like, oh, you're, you're being a problem that it's been difficult to not turn that inward and to be like, oh my God, I'm bad. Or I've had, um, I'm the one that's out of line or why can't I be the kind of person that doesn't be bossy or that doesn't want to tell other children how to play or what to play or, <laughs> um, who isn't satisfied with the normal structure of things. And that's taken a lot of extra and annoying amount of time to like pull those things out of myself and be like, oh, I'm actually, oh, that was sort of inconsiderately 
pushed onto me. And I never felt that about myself from the get-go. I never was like, oh, I'm bad. It was like because I was told that I was bad. So then I had all these hoops to jump through and pain to get over before I was like, no, actually, I'm kind of okay. Or it's, it's them who don't want to create a space for me in their world. Mm-hmm. That was great. That was a great answer. I love that. <laughs> I love everything you just said. Um, I, just, I just got lost in you for a moment there. Because <laughs> um, I think that is really hard for, for me still to hear feedback and think, is this fair or not? Am I, am I being unfair? And then even to other people, when I give, when I have an opinion about someone, I have to think, do I think this fairly about someone? Is this actually reflected in their work? Can I give examples? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'm interested in how you talked about ritual changing your perceptions. So I wonder, do you still face moments where you're unsure of how the world's the world influencing you kind of affects the way you see things. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if my views about, about being a woman or about being like a queer person in coffee are shaped only through this little teeny tiny bubble of San Francisco coffee scene where it's not, I'm not the only lesbian in coffee. <laughs> That's really normal. And it's not even, it's not even like a thing anymore. So I think that that in a way is a positive way that my society is shaping me because I feel like I don't have to talk about it. It's just kind of given and I'm, you know, still respected, but in other, in other areas of my life, not, not coffee, but in like family ways, those, those things continue to shape who I am and feeling like I can have my own space to express myself or to go through, um, go through processing or emotional pain in a way that feels right to me has not always felt welcome. And it's become, it's become clear that those spaces that are difficult for me to be who I am have to, I have to like kind of chip away at those more and more and kind of move back because it just gets too, it just gets too much of a fight. And I do have like a very advocacy spirit, but sometimes I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to do my own thing. And to fight to be heard or to be um, to be taken seriously can be exhausting. I hundred percent agree with that. <laughs> um, does it ever? Yeah. Does it ever get tiring to be an advocate for women? Right now, it feels really right, and it feels really easy to be an advocate for women, but. Um, it doesn't always, it doesn't always feel that way. How come? Well, because when you're really in the thick of it and when you're 
talking to somebody or dealing with an entity that does not agree with you, you can be reduced down to an opinion. And if you're already seen as coming from a weaker point of view because you're a woman, that can be like there doesn't feel like a good way to quote unquote win or there doesn't feel like often I feel like I'm not making any progress and there's no point. I don't need to fight to gain like some battle thing that I have to do. I want to fight so that I can change or so that I can change the society that is inhospitable to me. And if I'm fighting and if I don't feel like there's any meeting point, then I just get like, well, now I'm really upset and now I'm like feeling unheard and I'm feeling mistrusted and I'm feeling demonized and I'm being, you know, insulted. And for what? There's no, there's, I don't even feel like there's an inch. If there was one inch of change that I could sense, then it would be worth it. But when I don't sense the change, then I feel like, okay, I don't want to fight. Sometimes when I talk to women about being strong females in coffee, oftentimes the answer I met is, okay, but I just want to be known for my work, not for being female. And do you ever feel like there's this dichotomy that exists where you just want to be good at your job, but that you also have to speak up? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a lot of right now I'm feeling a big push. Uh, I had heard. So when in 2012, uh, when Katie Cardulo won the U.S. Barista Championship, I heard some things about – because I, I saw her performance, and, um, of course, it was, like, in the middle of a shift, and I didn't really, like, pay attention. I didn't know who she was, and I hadn't tasted her coffee. I would probably only drank Verve coffee at that point in my life. And I saw that she had won, and I was like, what? Like, really? Okay okay, her SIGBEV didn't look that good. And I was like six months old as a specialty coffee barista. And there were people around me who were saying like, oh, like the SCAA really wants to like, there's like a lot of problems with gender in coffee. So they like, they just picked her on purpose because she's a woman. Like she didn't really deserve it. And that made me really mad, even though initially I was like, oh, why did why did she get it? She wasn't like the most inspiring. And of course, I didn't understand the rules and I was coming at it from a very naive perspective. And I'm sure she completely deserved to win and has been like a wonderful source of inspiration for me now that I know her a little bit more. But at the time, people were very dismissive of like, oh, it's just she was the only woman and, oh, you know, Barista Magazine just had, like, those three women on the cover. It's They're trying to, like, they're trying to send a message. And that made me feel like, wow. So even when a woman is recognized, they're still not even taken seriously or at face value. And that, it just drove me crazy. And I just didn't know what to do about it at the time. And it was like, well, what if, it made me think that if I won, that people would be like, oh, it's because she's gay or she's whatever. They would just like find some little thing that only I was and make that about who I totally am. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to fight. I'm like pissed off just talking about it. But um, I do get, 
I do get like, sometimes I feel like, okay, for instance, in specialty coffee, we have a problem with not hiring enough racial diversity. And I do not see, I don't know, I don't have numbers, but I do not see enough black and Latino baristas. And for the amount of cafes that go up in historically black and Latino areas and that are gentrified and they're pushed out, it's really upsetting to me. But I don't totally like, I'm not really sure exactly the right way to go about that. I don't know what the solution is. I mean, some of it is what Emily does. It's just like all the applications give everybody a chance evenly without, without any bias, which can happen in coffee. If someone like comes in and gives you a resume and they don't look like a barista or they don't have experience, you can kind of dismiss them when maybe they're the next, maybe they're the next Katie Cardiolo. You don't even know. (laughs) So that, that makes me, that is what's making me want to fight a lot right now. But I am very aware that I'm not black or Latino. I'm white and Italian. So I need to make sure that I'm not trying to be speaking for them or like being a spokesperson. But I do need to make sure that I'm a person who's saying something like, we have a problem and we need to fix it. And what can we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel lately that I can't be quiet anymore about what happens to me and how to express that and I I feel like I'm still treading in this like swamp of like trying to figure out the right way to do things too. Mm-hmm. Um like even with that article I wrote, like I almost didn't publish it cuz I was like I don't I don't know. I don't know if this is right. And like, mm-hmm. even still, I felt like I, like I held back a lot. So I wonder, how do you approach your message? Like, how do you find your voice? What matters to you when you think about these issues? I write a lot and kind of work out my own biases or my own emotional stuff to get to, get to the root of it. Like, what am I really trying to say? And then... I'll talk to other people about it. And if I hear other people feeling the same way or or um, at least listening, then I know I'm kind of on to something. But sometimes I'll go down, I'll be like, oh my God, this thing. And then it'll be like, oh no, no, I'm just, I was just having an off day or like that was bothering me at that one time, but it's not actually important enough to dive into. So I think about, I just, maybe it's about feeling what is most unjust to me that is a big indicator of like, okay, this needs to be talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to talk about women in coffee right after the competitions because it's like, okay, again, here we go again. (laughs) Do we need to say again? I guess we need to say it again. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, it's probably going to happen in the World Barista Championships where there have been a lot of white boys winning things, which is cool. They do good things too. And other people do good things. So I feel like there needs to be, that needs to be a discussion. It's when 
when something is so grossly unequal, that's the that's when it's like, okay, am I the only one who's going to talk? Okay, I'll talk about it then. I'll do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you get frustrated when people don't see the same problems you do? Because that frustrates me a lot. Yes. When <laughs> people are like, there's no problem with this. And you're like, then you have to accept, you, you must believe something fundamentally different between men and women. Yeah. Yeah. So I was telling you before we got on, I just got this, um, I just got this app and it's, uh, it's these little surveys that you can take. Um, and it sort of like gives you a sample of what other people in your area are saying. And there was this one survey, there was this one survey question that said, um, is feminism still relevant today? Or no, it was, do women still need feminism today? And, um, like most of the boys said no and half of the girls said yes and half of the girls said no. And these are like California people. So I know they're at least a little bit liberal or at least not like super, super conservative. But even if they were, like I would want conservative women to be like, yeah, we need feminism because things aren't going so good over here. (laughs) And when I see, when I see that is like a sample. I mean, of course, I don't really know who these people are, but if any portion of society is saying, no, we don't need feminism or no cultural appropriation is not a real thing, I get like, wait, hold up. Do you know the definition of this word? Because you must not know what this word means if we don't agree on it. Yeah, it makes me really mad. (laughs) Lately, what's been making me crazy is this idea that we have, you know, we have Katie Cargillo, we have Layla Wilbur, we have people, we have women who have won the USBC. I'm talking specifically about competition because it just happened. Um, And people seem to think that things are fixed. Like, oh, we have an equal amount of female and male competitors. Things are fine. What do you think about when you, when someone says something like that? That's like saying racism is dead because Obama is president. It's just completely ignorant. It's totally not true. It means that things are getting a little better. And it's it means that finally we women are allowed to be seen as equal. Like just the idea that, oh, maybe they could win or or maybe this is – if people are saying – things are fixed and this is all that we need they're not hearing us because that's not i don't need four u.s barista champions in a row that are women to the the fixing part is not totally about who is the u.s barista champion it's about how do we feel when we compete how do we feel when we are hired and promoted how do we feel with our bosses how do we feel with our customers how do our women coffee producers feel how are how's sexism going down there because their issues are a lot different than my issues and i think that as a feminist if i'm not recognizing my privilege of being an American or of being in the Northern Hemisphere, that's, then I'm not acknowledging a really big problem. And that's not okay either. You talking about your privilege, I think is really important too, because it's different to be 
female versus to be a black female. It's different mm-hmm. to be even between me and you, like it's different for you to be a queer female versus like I'm Hispanic, but even then I mm-hmm. pass as white. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that is tough too. Cause I can say that like, Oh, I didn't, I got promoted at this job. So cool. Feminism is fine. <laughs> but like it's dismisses so much other privilege mm-hmm. and, how do you open up a discussion with people like that? How do you talk? How do you get people talking about their privilege or recognizing it? Well, I feel like because I have, I have some categories, you know, some boxes I check off make me in the privileged category and some boxes I check off make me in the um, marginalized category. So it's easy for me to be like, here, I'm an example. I, you know, carried a bunch of, uh, pot over state lines and I had a bunch of hippie stickers and I had like I'm a you know I was young I was like totally passing white and like everything was cool and cops didn't pull me over but if I had been driving this car or I if I had this skin color or if I had these like other signals I would not have been able to do illegal things as easily and that I mean that's just like one example of how I was using my privilege to break the law and I don't really drive pot across state lines anymore, but (laughs) just for the record. Yeah. Well, it's not like that was a thing. It was like, I just had a bag because I was smoking it. It wasn't like a drug traveling (laughs) enterprise that I had going on. (laughs) You weren't, you weren't in some cartel. No, no. But a friend of mine was next to me and she was like, Oh my God, like we're going to get caught. Oh no. And I was like, no, we're two white girls on a Honda Civic we won't get caught because of our privilege. And then of course we had a whole conversation of like, Oh, that's not right. And (laughs) how do we like deal with it? And how I think the best way to deal with privilege is acknowledging you have privilege does not make you the enemy. It makes you in a more powerful position to push forward change. So it's great when people are like, yes, I have privilege because it's like, yeah, you do. So what are you going to do about it? Because you can't, you can't change, you can't, movements cannot totally shift and change until the power dynamic is broken down. And if more people who have privilege can side with the people who don't have privilege, then, then we all win. Mm -hmm. Everybody wins. I mean, I think about, I think about, um, my days in Starbucks where, the people who were hired, a lot of us were really struggling at the time and we were finding community in our little stores and we were there for each other. And it was, you know, it's a very different coffee shop job. And a lot of times you feel like you're at war with the customers or you feel like everything's like so messy and you just can't make it work. And those like we were all underserved and we were all just like trying to make work. And I just think about all the untapped potential that we all had then and how those were so, it was really difficult to try to try to do anything beyond survive at that moment. And that is, we were all less than what we could be to our human race. And if 
I, a person who now works in a specialty coffee job, which is also a little bit of privilege because I'm able to like, I don't know, I'm like educated enough to talk the talk or I've like found a way to live in a city that's pretty inhospitable to our wages. And that is me with my privilege. And if I'm not actively being like, hey, other coffee people who are struggling or who are, who haven't made it yet, there is potential here. And I want your potential. Like, please come. It's almost like when people talk about feminism or even things like um, affirmative action or, Mm -hmm. you know, filling a quota. um, Mm -hmm. It's there. The argument always feels like it's like, Oh, well, you know, everyone should be looked at for their merits. But really what drives me so crazy. Right. If it's like you have to be chosen for your merits If you're saying that, you're basically saying that other people like women or black people or disabled people have less merit right off the bat. Like they are inherently less. And it's difficult for them to acknowledge that that's their frame of mind. One time my my brother did this thing. um, He so he lives in Idaho and he is very young. He's like 20 or something. And he was. We were talking about racism in America, and he said, I was, I was trying to, like, I was defining for him systemic racism, and he wasn't really getting it, and he said something like, well, you have to acknowledge that there are, like, more black people pulled over and put in jail, so, like, that proves that they are more likely to be criminals, And I was like, whoa, hang on. No, 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 no. Not even close. Not even close. And so to like work backwards when when people try to use numbers like, uh, you know, oh, there are so many percentages less women CEOs than men. That's like to try to prove the merit, the merit logic. But it doesn't even acknowledge it doesn't even acknowledge that the whole system is working against them because the system's working for those people. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's hard to tell someone that stuff is messed up when it's working just fine for them. Yeah. Yeah. It gets really intimidating because there's this idea that if you treat everybody equally, the idea of like maybe a privileged person, whatever whatever way shape or form that person is privileged, there might be a threatening like, "Oh, if you want to make everything equal, that you want to bring me down instead of the idea that equality could mean we actually would all raise like that privileged person is actually being held down by an unfair society. And I don't think that has really clicked for some people mm-hmm. because if they're at the top of the food chain and if they're at like, I don't know, let's say they're at like, they're at level 10 and they're like, 10's like the highest level there is. Duh. I'm at level 10. And you know, you and other people are at level like four or six or like whatever. There's this, there's not the comprehension that no, like actually we could all be at level 100. If you could just, you're being held down. Just, ah. <laughs> right. You're being told that there are certain things about you or things that are working for you that maybe are holding you back in a way Mm -hmm. because you have 
a certain skin color or a certain mm-hmm. gender or a certain background. Yeah. And you're told that this is where you go. That yeah. This is what you deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk to you about the unique gender problems in coffee. Cause I think what's really unique about coffee is that gender discrimination happens behind, behind you mm-hmm. and in front of you. Yes. So I want to hear more about your experiences with that, especially the stuff that happens in front of you. When you're behind okay. the bar, like what, yeah. what, cause you've had some unique experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So of course behind you is like women in the workforce kind of issues that we've already been talking about. And in front of you is like what it's like to be a woman in public spaces. And of course you have the bar and you are in work mode, whatever that means. It might mean that you're more hospitable to people. You're like more upbeat. Hi, what can I get for you? Or like, you know, you have that tone and you have that front on a little bit just so that you can keep pushing out that good energy and keep the the cafe feeling good. But I've noticed unique experiences where it's straight up like street harassment or catcalling. And it's in this way where if you're walking down the street and someone shouts at you, they don't, they are, you know, trying to get your attention, trying to objectify you, blah, 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 whatever. And that's like awful. (laughs) But then when you're behind the bar, they don't have to shout at you to get your attention because you're, you're paid to look at them. You're paid to talk to them. So there's this opening for a form of, I think of it as street harassment because people will come in and they will pay a menial three, four dollars to get this like whatever thing that they need to work out. Maybe it's like talking to a pretty girl or maybe it's like trying to say, trying to like stroke their own ego or maybe it's being listened to by a woman or um, sometimes it's just all this stuff that you have to deal with that doesn't have anything to do with coffee, but it does have everything to do with customer service. But sometimes it will it will frustrate me cuz we've all had the person who wants to like engage with you in a sexual way and they do it like they know that you like coffee and so they'll say some funny dumb question like oh how many cups of coffee do you drink a day and they'll lean in they'll get all weird or oh just you know so how did you how did you get so good at making that pretty art? Like, oh, it's cause is it cause you're pretty or you know, they'll just say like awful things and on the street I'm like not afraid to flip someone off, shout back, like my my favorite thing to do about street harassment is just like shouting like this is objectifying, like this is not okay, like this is harassment. I don't accept this. And of course everybody looks and they get embarrassed and it's like a way to shame them and hopefully they won't do it again. But you, I can't say this is objectifying me. If someone comments like, Oh, did you make that heart for me? Like, mm. <laughs> You have to hold it back. You have to be like, mm, I make it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Do you have, do you find answers for stuff like that? Because I finally started being more vocal about things like that. Like I was at um, a place that I work and a guy, I was wearing a camo shirt and the guy asked me when he came in, 
He's like, oh, is everyone going to tell you today that they can't see you? And I was like, only men will. <laughs> so I wonder if That's you, awesome. yeah, I wonder if you find ways to kind of combat that too. Yeah. I have been more free in stating my boundary because that's just not something trying to encourage. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't feel good to ignore it and it doesn't feel good to laugh it off and like nothing really feels good unless, for me anyway, unless I'm like, no, there's like a drop and it's like, "Mm, not gonna, not gonna do that. So I don't know. There was... It's hard to think of examples, but I definitely don't let people run the conversation anymore. And I used to think that, you know, baristas had less power than customers and that you were always at the mercy of them. But I realized that was probably a cultural thing that companies kind of push out there because they want customers to buy things from them (laughs) Mm -hmm. and they don't want you to say anything that will scare them away and they don't want to be too ballsy in like what they allow people to say or what they don't allow them to say and I didn't always feel like I would be supported but at Ritual I feel like if somebody's out of line and I say something and if there is like an altercation everybody behind me will be like, okay, bye. You have to go. Yep. You have to go. And no one's going to be like, really? Like he just, he just said that, oh, that heart is pretty or, you know, like it might not be that in particular, but those comments can be minimized and I don't feel minimized where I work. I like that you mentioned being minimized because I think that happens a lot to women where you complain about something and then it's like, well, was it really that bad? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it didn't happen to you. Mm-hmm. How can you possibly know? And mm-hmm. yes, it was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. I, I think people forget that customer service sometimes hurts. Yeah. And it hurts emotionally in a way that a lot of people can't fathom if they're not mm-hmm. part of a group of people where certain things will be told to you on yes. a daily basis. Yes. Yeah. What? I want to I want to get to the stuff that you were telling me about front. I'm trying to figure out a way to yeah, I want I'm trying to figure out a way to get there. Okay. Because I was so I was so surprised when you were like, yeah, sexism happens here versus like but in a very specific way where like this group of people come in and like have never seen a girl before. So Yeah. <laughs> what was yeah, what yeah. were those experiences like? Like how did you handle yourself there? I mean, eventually you had to leave, right? Yeah, I only I only worked at front for 2 months. Mm-hmm. And I was hired on as lead barista, and this was the first time that I had felt like, okay, here's my coffee, and I have control over the program, and I'm going to train everybody, and I'm going to start the wholesale program, and everything's going to be great. And I was so excited, and the um, the people I was working with were really cool. There was a wide variety of people working there. The roaster was great. The um, There was like an art designer that was part of it. And she did really cool things with experimental food. And and I was like, this is totally set up. So I start working there. And we were in a very interesting pocket of San Francisco that was kind of industrial, kind of had a lot of warehouses, had a lot of um, tech startups. And it had people from out of town a lot circling through, but not tourists, working professionals. And... 
I don't know what kind of jobs they had, but it must have been not very fun because nobody was really happy when they came in. And um, the manufacturing crew was predominantly male and probably all male. There might have been one or two women in there. But they, um, they would come in and they would be like, oh, hey, like, oh, it's, like, been such a long day. And it, they would talk to us like we were the only women that they had ever seen that that day. And it's, like, all their sexual frustration would dump out and they would, like, lean over the counter and they would, like... We also had a dress code, so we were pretty strict on what we could wear. And there were a lot of women who worked there. And I didn't feel comfortable wearing skirts and women's tops because they're just so they just put you in a weaker position like you have to wear pantyhose and then you're cleaning the floor drains and then you have these shirts that they like hang off your shoulders and nothing feels strong nothing feels to me it didn't feel professional it didn't feel like I was a badass who was slinging great coffee it felt like I was trying to trying to like look nice and this weird way that society says looks nice and then you have these manufacturing guys and it's just too it was so stereotypically just like we were in these categories like oh three women wearing makeup being nice to us giving us chocolate croissants <laughs> and it was pretty awful it was it was not fun at all and same same with the tech industry. I've been reading a lot of things about women like going into tech because they have the degree and they have the ingenuity, but because the culture is so weird, they end up leaving right away or they don't really stay or they um, become like really hardened and try to like play ball with the boys, but it's not really working for them. So anyway, there was a lot of tech guys who were also there and just the rudest kind of things that we deal with on a daily basis, like throwing credit cards or being on your phone or, um, you know, just things like that would happen all the time. It wasn't like, oh, that person was weird. It was just like, nope, this is normal. And then the times that they would get off the phone or decide to pay attention, it wouldn't be like, hey, I'll have my usual cappuccino. It would be like, hey, so... How you guys doing? Yeah. Just like, oh, so disgusting. And ugh, it was really rough. Yeah. I had, so uh, I work at a cafe that's next to a barber shop. So a lot of men come in where I work. And this one guy came in. He started talking about traveling to Brazil. He was talking to his buddy about it. Like he was clearly very hyped. And he goes up to me. He's like, you ever been to Brazil? And I was like, no. And he was like, you gotta go, of course, like immediately telling mm -hmm. me what I need to do. And I was like, oh, well, you know, I'm not necessarily like living the same financial lifestyle you are. Kind of called him out immediately <laughs> on it, which to be fair, I thought maybe it was a little bit of an overstep. But then he was like, no, I mean, tickets, I mean, all you have to pay for is the ticket. Once you get there, it's so cheap. And I was like, stop it. Like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, mm -hmm. why are you trying to tell me to go do something? Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, 
I wanted to so badly say like your man's planning, stop it. But yeah. I couldn't, I was like, <laughs> just felt really conflicted. And I, like, I wonder if you have any experiences like that. I know you have that one story with the, the locksmith. That was a fun one for you, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I, this is not like me at all, but I lost my keys to my car and I, I'd parked on a meter and it needed, it needed to go. It was in a, it was in a bad neighborhood. And I was like, Ugh, I cannot leave my car here overnight. I cannot, I have to get it out. So I did not have the key to my door, but I had the key to my ignition. So I called the locksmith and he was like, I'll be there in 15 to 45 minutes. I was like, cool. I'll be there at like, I'll be there in 15. So I get there in 15 and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. So it's been, it's been 45 minutes and, um, it's like cold and like not a good area for me to like be hanging out in. And I wait more, I wait more. It's been an hour and 15. So 30 minutes after the 45 minute mark that he'd given me, I called him and I was like, hey, like, where are you? Like, you said you would be here. He's like, oh, oh, I'm stuck on the bridge. I'm so sorry, sweetheart. Like, I'll be there in a minute. And I was like, oh, I go by Jasper. And he was like, what? And I was like, I go by Jasper. He's like, yeah, Jasper with the Honda, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry, sweetheart. And he said it twice. <laughs> so we got off the phone. He, like, finally showed up. Um, we had agreed on $100 cash. So I had the cash for him. Uh, he got the door opened, and um, the whole time he was, like, trying to do this, like, fun little banter, but I'm locked out of my car. I'm not okay. I'm not happy. So he he finally gets in, and he was like, okay, like, how does it, what about, um, what do we, what if we just call it 80, because I made you wait? And I was like, yeah, okay, thank you. And I'm handing him the money, and he's like, and how about a hug, too? And he, like, leans in. And I was like, oh, no. No, I don't feel comfortable with that. And he goes, oh, oh, it's 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 cool. It's cool. I do this to all my clients. And it just made me so mad that at any point he felt like my body could have been a part of the transaction. That's, like, absolutely off limits. And if, let's say I was, I don't know, what if I was, like, 6'5 and really overweight? Would then he wanted a hug? What if I was like an older woman? What if I was like a disabled man? It just made me think all these little things that he he felt comfortable being like, I would like to bribe you, essentially. And it just made me want to vomit because I didn't have, I was already in like a less position because I was locked out of my car. <laughs> and then, of course, there's a whole like car woman dynamic of like oh the man's coming to help you with your car oh and then like I don't know just whenever ugh, it just didn't feel good no that doesn't that, that does not sound good at all and I hate that for you and I think that that's something unique to I feel like that's unique to women although it is unique to, I mean it's true of everyone is that at any given point your body can be attacked your body yeah. can be sexualized and mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, I have a boyfriend, he's, oh, he's tall. He's, um, 
physically not imposing, but he's taller and I never get talked to when I'm with him. Yeah. But the minute I'm by myself is when immediately like my body is up for grabs. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I wonder how that, how you are affected by that and how you're affected by that in coffee behind the bar. Do you ever feel like your body is somehow in somehow being thrown in a place where it shouldn't be? Or? Yeah. Just my, my body and my face or my hair or any clothes I am or am not wearing is part of the conversation, whether I want it to be or not. And it's gotten to this point where if somebody is trying to talk to me about anything and if I get any weird vibes, it's just like, I'll just say like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. And if there's any pushback, it's like, oh, no, I actually, did you not hear me? We're not going to talk about that. And then, of course, I'm also gracious and charming. And then I'm like, so how's the weather been? Blah, blah, blah. Or like whatever it is that I can move to a different topic. But yeah, that comes up all the time. Just about, um, about, I mean, right now I am, I'm not dressing as androgynously as I have in the past. And when I was dressing more androgynously, there was a lot of comments about like, oh, but you're so pretty, like like that meant one thing or another. Or that pretty is objective and that just because I am one way that I should have whatever, like, I don't know, a flower dress on and long hair. Like, no, 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 not at all. And then there's been, um, I've had this customer ask me, like, did you start to dress the way you do when you worked in coffee. And at the time I was wearing very like, I was kind of wearing urban ish things like drop, drop a uh, crotch pants. And, you know, it definitely was not like the hipster vibe or maybe, I don't even know what that is anymore. And maybe that's what he thought it was, but just like my style or like who I am. And he kind of like went straight over who I am and my own personal choices to, oh, did coffee make you this way? Or did did baristas, other baristas make you this way? Like I wasn't, like it's not an expression of who I actually am. And I also change, I change my hair a lot. Like I dye different colors. I'm always shaping it in different ways and it just gets tiring. I mean, I, I know sometimes it's harmless. A lot of times it's harmless. Like, oh, you oh, I've got grays all by myself. Why did you dye your hair gray? It's just like, because I wanted to. Because it's, I, I think that's like, yes, it's part of coffee and working behind the bar, but it's also a larger problem of society not really wanting people to do different things or just to change it up. In, mm -hmm. in a weird way, I almost think if people... If I were to change my hair, like my hair is naturally brown, and if I were to change my hair blonde, that's like the only possible acceptable thing for a woman to do with her hair. Like, oh, but then it would be like a bunch of dumb things. Like, would do blondes have more fun? Or I don't know. Like, nothing. I feel like there's not really anything I can do that would just be permissible. Mm -hmm. And, of course, it's not all customers. A lot of customers don't say anything or they, you know, say the right things like, wow, you look really great. Or, you know, that's like 
I love what you did or I'm inspired by that or, you know, cool hair, just like something easy. But it's the like calling attention to like, I need a conversation. It ends up being like whatever the person that is starting that conversation, it's really their own insecurities or their own disbelief about women or creative people or gay people or whatever like comes out in this way and I am expected to deal with it and it's it kind of wears you down yeah I feel like I get worn down a lot thinking about those things too like there are days where I'm like I'm not gonna wear this thing or yeah I'm not going to start this conversation I'm Uh just gonna let it happen and I have to remember that no I don't like I have to keep going Mm -hmm. but that's so hard yeah and I wonder if do you feel that way too sometimes yeah Mm. oh yeah Absolutely. It's difficult to make a true authentic choice to like today who I am is a hoodie and sweats and that's who I am. Or I recall this one time where who I was that day was red lipstick and I had my hair in a side, like a side ponytail bun kind of thing. And it had a red flower in it. And it was it was summertime and I was like so in tune with the seasons and I was like, this day is wonderful. It's July. And I got so much shit from all these customers. I was like, I am never wearing red lipstick again. I had no, I had no idea. I mean, I was a lot younger then and I didn't think about it in that way, but that is that that's a problem. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be criticizing myself for being younger and naive. Like, oh, I should have known. I should have known I would have been sexualized wearing red lipstick. No, like maybe it should be the other way around. Men and or people in power should know that women are more likely to be sexualized when they wear things that, you know, make other people uncomfortable or show their body or wear le- red lipstick and they should be the ones that are more conscious to avoid doing anything that would be hurtful or harassing to those people. Mm-hmm. It should be the other way around. That's that's the problem I'm actually encountering right now, this idea that you live and you learn almost as opposed to like, no, mm. this is wrong. Yeah. I shouldn't avoid a situation because something bad could happen to me. Something bad should just not happen to me in that situation. Uh Um, And it's, it's so, it's so hard to, to make that argument. I mean, it's the argument for like, you know, why rape continues to happen that like, Oh, she should have dressed more conservatively or shouldn't have gone to that party. It's like, no, people should just not rape people. Yeah. Like that's easy, easy, done. But the way you have to talk about that problem or really get in the face of it is often doing the things that people associate with like, oh, that's the victim's fault because they dot, dot, dot. And you have to do that. Like, I'm going to wear red lipstick and a red flower in my hair and I'm going to have difficult conversations with people over and over and over again to be like, nope, I'm actually just as much of a bad bitch today as I was yesterday. And you have to, you have to like, give me that. You are always a bad bitch. I'm always a bad bitch. Okay. My favorite word right now, I think I came up with it. I'm going to take credit for it. It's ambitious. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best word I've ever heard. (laughs) You should get some, uh, 
um, business cards just printed with that, like Jasper yes. Wild and bitches. Yes, that's it. No contact information. <laughs> just that's your that's calling all card. You need to know. Oh, that's so great. You're so wonderful. Oh, thanks. You had so many great things to say. You're great too. Oh. Uh, have you ever read um, that book by Tanahashi Coates, Between the World and Me? No. Well, number one, you should read it. Okay. Um, but two, one of the th- arguments he makes, this is specifically about being being black in America, and he kind of makes an argument that things are not necessarily going to get better. And I wonder, but you seem so hopeful. So I wonder, do you think that we can change things? Do you see? Do you see this utopia future? Does your utopian coffee shop <laughs> exist somewhere in the future? Yeah. Yeah. It really does. It really does. And I am feeling like people who have felt this way but don't necessarily want to speak up or it's kind of like been difficult that I think they are speaking up. I think young people, okay, I don't have much faith in millennials right now, but the next generation, Gen Z, they're awesome and they are like little activists and they're like 14 years old and they're dedicating their whole Instagram page to like fight social justice and like make make the world a better place. So I think I think with that that um, generation coming back as they get older, I think the things that they're going to do, we are going to see basically all generations like revitalized by their youth and strength and pushing for it. And we're getting to the point now where many older people, at least in America specifically, are they were the beginning of the hippie generation. So they've already gone through their idealistic spark. And maybe now they're like not as involved or they're jaded or they're like, oh, the world will never change. But I think if they continue to see more and more people being like, no, we want to change this, they'll get on board. If the movement is big enough, they'll all get on board and then we'll change the world. (laughs) Cool. I just wanted to know because I'm not so, I'm not super hopeful all the time. Not all the time. No, No. I get hopeful living in this little San Francisco microcosm. I don't feel good when I travel outside of it often, but then I, feel like there's other pockets in other countries that I haven't visited yet or maybe even other pockets in this country that are doing good things and and um I'd really I mean I haven't been to origin yet but that's like have to travel there have to like see that world and meet up meet up there one of these little explosions okay now we can end it sorry Nick <laughs> I wanted to ask her one more question yeah.